After Libertarian fighters have been chased across the galaxy, our heroes have departed the secret base of the Austro-Libertarian, where Johnny and Raylene reach a small resistance pocket in the Bastion sector, where bravery, ethics, and philosophy, the lifeblood of liberty rests. Johnny and Raylene battle alongside Luke Henderson, Libertarian author and journalist who oversees the training of resistance fighters with the help of contracted bounty hunters. Luke talks about his book and what libertarian values are, the philosophy, and the complexities of differing cultures in a free society. So now, the flames of ethics ignite with Luke Henderson on episode 35 of Blast Off with Johnny Rocket. Transmitting directly from the launch pad. Bringing blue collar to your cell tower. The rock and roll libertarian himself. It's time to blast off with Johnny Rocket. Hey, this is Blast Off with Johnny Rocket, and I'm here with my Red Truth Miss, really Lighthard. Hey, how's it going, Johnny? Good. I'm, uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually, uh, I don't know if you uh, heard or seen, but um, I'm starting my personal professional website. Yeah. So I could do some uh, broadcasting, get, hopefully get some broadcasting jobs here in the area, in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And I've been wanting to do that for a while. And I'm thinking, for the longest time, I'm like, why don't I just do this for a job? You know, so like if I put together a resume and a nice little samples of all the stuff I've done, I think it would be a cool opportunity. Yeah. Actually get paid to do what you love to do. And you really do love to do it. And you are really good at what you do. So I like that. I like That is the thing. I figured it out. (laughs) If I get paid to talk, what a great job, right? Like I could sit there, get paid to talk. Everything is good to go. Right. And I, I could actually make more money doing that than I could be like, I don't know, working construction like some poor bastard doing, you know? Digging ditches and uh, and uh, fixing toilets, right. That noise, right? Exactly, right. exactly. How you, what's going on with you? Oh, man, I'm actually having the time of my life. It's, it's almost springtime. I'm feeling really energetic. We got over a huge snowstorm, which you know, we had a couple feet of snow and it's uh, still on the ground. Yeah, so if you <laughs> like get an inch of snow, you lose the internet, you lose your power, and you can't flush your toilets. Is that what you said? I did, and it's because we're on a well. Okay. So we don't have the electricity, but uh, we and uh, we work it out. We do really fun. It's it's fun, especially because we're homesteaders. So we feel like we're roughing it a little bit. It's a good time. Okay. But yeah. No, I'm I'm house cleaning and uh, getting the homeschooling kind of geared up. And my my son just started reading all by himself. This is really exciting. Oh, good. And, uh, Yep, yep, all, all that good stuff. I love it. Nice, nice. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that because that's kind of funny about the whole toilet thing. What do you guys do when you don't have electricity? Oh, uh, you know, we... <laughs> you don't, uh, you don't <laughs> can or something, right? Uh, no, although we do have a compost toilet and it is similar. So. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can put, you put wood chips in it. And uh, and you put a bag in a bucket and they have a little toilet with a lit, like an actual toilet seat on it and a wooden box. And you could totally do that. So it's kind of <laughs> crazy. And then you just bury it when you're done. Why do we always end up talking about somewhere on the show? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, right. that's what we talk about. <laughs> exactly. On this episode, Raylene, I think it's going to be fun. This episode is about libertarian ethics. 
Ethics are moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conduct when performing an activity. Libertarianism has ethics that may seem like common sense in some situations and at other times could go against the grain of modern day society. Libertarians seek to maximize political freedom and autonomy, emphasizing freedom of choice, voluntary association, and individual judgment. Raylene, are you ready for a guest? I cannot wait. Okay, so since joining the Libertarian Party in 2016, Luke Henderson has been active in the liberty movement through journalism and political activism. Luke is an educator, composer of the fine art and electronic music, and contributing author to Being Libertarian's debut manifesto, Igniting Liberty, while also writing for Think Liberty, Antiwar.com, and Libertarian Coalition. Okay, Raylene, prepare for liftoff. Copy that, Johnny. Covers, tie-downs, and grounding cables. Removed as required. Communications connected. Check. Preamps in the green. Check. Cold beer. Double check. Thrusters are hot. Raylene, are you ready to rock? All systems go, Johnny. Let's blast off with Luke Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me. How you doing today? I uh, do pretty well. Uh, we've been really cold in Missouri lately, and now it's warm, but unfortunately it's raining. So I'm from the Seattle area, so it's rainy all the time. We're used to it. Yeah, and it's been <laughs> it's been snowing and uh, raining here in Arizona too. So it's kind of weird. And if you know, I'm not going to say it's global warming, but it is a little weird. I'll tell you that it's been a little weird. Okay, so Luke, thanks so much for being here, and uh, just tell us about your new book. Igniting Liberty, and the, mm-hmm. the subtitle is Voices for Freedom Around the World. What makes this book unique, and what do you hope to accomplish with uh, this new book of yours? Well, I think the big thing that makes this book unique is that it's not libertarianism from an entirely American perspective or an entirely European's perspective. We have writers from all over the world. Like our editor-in-chief contributed to the book, and he's from South Africa. And then we have another contributor that lives in uh, South America, and she's involved with uh, the Libertarian Party of Cuba, the Libertarian Party of Venezuela, the Mises Institute Brazil. Oh, wow. So we just got a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds uh, giving some uh, uh, just kind of libertarian knowledge on a variety of topics. Right on, man. Right on. So it's just a cornucopia of libertarianism. It cover, what, what issues does it cover? Like what things do you guys talk about in the book? Uh, quite a bit. It's kind of divided into four sections where it's uh, one's philosophy, one's economics, one's kind of an individualist point of view, and then the other one's kind of more general topics. But we cover uh, gun rights. We cover um, the Federal Reserve as an essay. We cover abortion from the pro-choice and the pro-life perspective. Oh, interesting. So you actually have like, you know, for and against abortion arguments. Yeah. That's very interesting. Well, abortion is one of those 50-50. It's a, a person within a person and the ideas behind that and consent. It's a hard topic. It sure is. It's a gray area. And, it, you know, and it, I don't even know if I'm completely sold on either way. How about you, Luke? Where, where, where do you stand on it? I'm personally pro-life, but I'm not convinced that the government needs to necessarily uh, outlaw it because the just the, the back alley and the black market abortions that have happened in the past are just horrendous. And I don't know if that's necessarily more harmful than just having it available. So I am pro-life, but I'm not sure what my stance is on government regulating it quite yet. It's said if both sides have good arguments and I just can't make up my mind. <laughs> right on. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Kibler uh, was the first one that ever brought evictionism to me when talking about it, because I'm super pro-life, but what it ultimately came down for me was distrusting the state 
more than my dislike of a crime that I can't actually prevent. So it comes down to I don't ever trust the state to do anything. And that's where I'm at now um, in my journey in libertarianism. So ultimately, do I want the state to be in charge of it? Nope. That's where I come down on it. That's a good point. Like that's kind of along the lines of the same reason that I'm against the death penalty. I just I don't trust any state power having the ability to say that this criminal should be killed. So in your chapter, The Case for, for a Libertarian Ethic, you argue that libertarianism should not be a political view, but also a personal view. Could you explain more about this? Yeah, so uh, I kind of begin the essay by breaking down what each faction of libertarianism says is like the heart of the philosophy. So, you know, anarcho-capitalists say it's the NAP, while the libertarian socialists say that it's eliminating all oppressive hierarchy. But ultimately, all of this boils down to we all just want the maximum amount of freedom for the maximum amount of people. And so I extend that by then using a conversation I had when I first became a libertarian. One of my friends who was a progressive was just trying to figure out why I was beginning to dive into this and starting to believe this because he had a very negative view of it. Mm-hmm. And so eventually the the conversation got down to and he's like, well, it sounds like you just kind of want people to be more you know, communal and more voluntary. That doesn't necessarily have to translate into politics. Okay. And so I was like, well, you know, you kind of have a point. So I think libertarianism yeah, needs to extend beyond just being a political ideology to a personal ideology because there's ways that people can take away freedom without using the government. And so we have to be active in making sure that we point that out and that we try to protest it and try to make it go away. That's why I'm really into trying to show like kind of social justice principles from a libertarian's perspective, because I do think it's important after the state's gone, like we still can't let people uh, be discriminatory in their businesses. We really shouldn't allow people to just be openly racist uh, because that does cause like harm to people's mental constitution. It causes harm because they have less opportunity. And if they have less opportunity, then they're less free. So are you saying when you say let them or allow them is a word that you chose, are we talking about using social pressure and refusing to do business with and kind of starving out a bad business, even if it's a person and in, in their personal interactions? Are we talking about using our free association and disassociation? Yeah, 100%. Disassociate. Don't like uh, do anything to promote those people because they're taking away freedom and they're being inherently unlibertarian. Okay, do you believe though that libertinism is different than libertarianism and do you believe that some libertarians really just don't understand the difference i mean libertinism means hey let's just all get naked run around the streets where libertarianism may not support that i mean that that comes to a point where uh it's just philosophical differences the reason i specifically talk in this essay about uh racism and like um uh just bigotry of that type is because you can see the mental harm that it happens to it not only affects people's just their mental health, it also affects their livelihood and their ability to be happy and prosperous, whether as libertinism, like that's you can easily disassociate from that. And like it doesn't necessarily affect their happiness by not associating with them being naked. I mean, if they want to be running around naked in the streets and kind of being hedonist, like they're probably happy, honestly, to be around people who want that same type of uh, lifestyle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're are is this what you're bringing up in the way you are looking at this? Is it differentiating between the legal or political ethics and then what Rothbard calls personal morality in this philosophy? Yeah, I guess to to a degree. I've not read a ton of Rothbard, but mm-hmm. I'm I'm I really love Mises and Hayek and Benjamin Tucker, and so those are the authors I've mainly uh, read about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, ba- basically, yeah, there needs to be kind of a 
a political libertarianism, but also a personal libertarianism. And then uh, there is actually an author at Bleeding Heart Libertarians who has a, who wrote about this kind of in the same type of way. He calls it thick libertarianism and thin libertarianism. Thin libertarianism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we need to just make sure that we're trying to also do, uh, promote the thick kind of libertarianism where we're making sure that personal interactions are also not restricting people's freedom. So a criminal is anyone who initiates violence against another man and his property, anyone who uses the course of political means or personal means for the acquisition of goods and service, it's taking from one person and given to another through force. Is that a good libertarian principle? And from a libertarian standpoint, is the UBI ethical? That's it. UBI, I've I've discussed this with uh, libertarian socialists and libertarian capitalists, and no one can really seem to make up their mind or make a good argument because once people seem to think they have a set argument, something else kind of gets brought in. They're like, well, that's true, I suppose, because I there's a candidate here in Missouri who he's running as a libertarian promoting a UBI because he believes the only way to get that was we basically have to eliminate every other aspect of government to do it, to fund it. Mm-hmm. And so that's what he sees it as a lesser evil. And then that way we're also not potentially harming people who uh, have been using welfare like that by just taking away all of a sudden. So it, it's a hard topic. Like I, I understand the pragmatic point of view, but it's not necessarily a principled point of view. Yeah, it's, it, I think it's immoral personally. I would rather step down people's welfare yeah, I'm than with you introduce on that too. a whole nother one. And, and the way our government in this country works is even if they took away the income tax or any other taxes, they ha- they could just put it back in, and they will. And there's not one really program that the state got rid of without bringing it back or or having all the taxes. They don't get rid of taxes. That's right. It, it, you know, when people say flat tax, flat tax, yeah, they'll implement a flat tax, but they're not going to get rid of the income tax. So it's not like you're going to replace one with the other. I'm with you, Rayleigh, and I think it's immoral, you know, because it's It doesn't even make sense economically. Economically, you have a new zero. Yeah, not only a new zero, but you're giving rich people that money also. So what's the difference? Everybody really, if everybody has $1,000, then $1,000 means nothing. It's like the wheelbarrows of money in the bread line. Exactly. That's, that's what this is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. There's even a lot of libertarian socialists who don't like it because they see it as uh, creating dependency on a more capitalist model. Like, they see... The UBI is just making people more dependent on the government as opposed to like trying to make everything more, you know, communal and uh, having the means of production owned by the communities. So, like, I I don't think that the UBI will ever be a libertarian idea. There's just there's there's uh, both sides of the spectrum don't like it. And Mm -hmm. like you said, I I personally, I think the UBI, it's being demonstrated right now in Finland, I believe that like it's not really doing what it's intended to do. The people who are getting it as an experimental like a project uh, Mm -hmm. still aren't aren't working like it's not necessarily (laughs) giving the motivation to work because their needs are taken care of. You don't say. So (laughs) It's just like, I don't know. This is still something very new. And I think like even trying to implement it without thinking about it or like all the repercussions that could happen, it would just be very fatal. And again, it just I also don't see the state getting rid of departments to, 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 to try and fund this. I just see them taking on more debt. Mm-hmm. Or that's right. like making higher taxes. That's like, right. It's a very idealistic point of view to think that the only way the state can do this is to get rid of every single department, unfortunately. so Right. And if we got rid of every single department, we wouldn't need to give everyone welfare. If we got rid of all of this overreach and all of the intervention, all of the cronyism, and we really attacked uh, the industrial war complex that we have here with the military. I mean, if we really cut taxes and did not spend, 
people wouldn't need to be on welfare through any kind of state mandates. Voluntarism would be enough. Yes, Mm -hmm. and there wouldn't be any taxes. So the people who do have, you know, like a lot of people, 30 to 50% of their taxes are taken out every two weeks, you know, and they don't see it because it happens every, you know, every paycheck. But if they actually saw how much they're paying to the state, it'd be mind-blowing. Half, 30 to 50%. Of your paycheck. Imagine what you could do with that money. You know what I mean? If you didn't have to pay taxes, mm-hmm. you know, you totally. could, you could buy more, employ more people or whatever. There's a whole bunch you could do. Luke, do you think a free society could actually be more restrictive if it's based on property rights and self ownership? Uh, what do you mean more restrictive? So for example, you could have a house like my house, for example, and I may not allow smoking in it or I may allow smoking in it or I may not allow this kind of behavior in my house. Now expand that to a small community and Bam. all of a sudden women are not allowed to wear pants. Let's just say it's something crazy like like that we think is silly. So in this small community, what Johnny's saying, what if they didn't allow, allow you to swear or wear certain clothing or... Um, go ahead, Johnny. No, you're right. I mean, yeah, what I'm saying is you could have smaller communities in a free society that could be actually more conservative, more restrictive than, mm-hmm. you know, another society. It lets to say the society B down the road says, hey, man, you could do whatever the hell you want here. And then on like this an side, Amish community. Right? Exactly. Would be exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what I'm saying is, do you think it could be actually more restrictive if we had property rights and we could actually do what we want on those property? And it could be good or bad. It could be indifferent. It could be neutral. I mean, that's what I'm getting at is there's really no right or wrong answer. But what I'm saying is, if you own that property, your house, your rules. Yeah, I got you. I mean, it, there's always the potential for that. But the I think the difference is in the absence of the state, that it is much easier to go to a community that more matches your values because sure. there's not there's not a countrywide mandate that you have to be in this uh, sort of society with this philosophical principles or with this economic model. Mm-hmm. That's why I, I'm personally a minarchist, but I'm also kind of a panarchist because I realize that in order for a stateless society to work, we're going to have to have communities that have different economic models because people have different preferences and people have different personalities. So there might be libertarian socialist communities right next to, you know, anarcho-capitalist communities. And right. that's all right. As long as they're working together and not trying to push their beliefs on another. Which could fall under just voluntarism. So a lot of people I know that are a little more liberal and a little more pro-government, they are still for voluntary government. Is that something you kind of fall under? Yeah. My minarchist ideal is uh, it's having a democratic, like elected representative state, but like there will be a right of succession. Like people, if they don't agree with it, can can leave and choose not to be citizens. Okay. And I would like it to be only funded by like a lottery type taxation because that, again, you're getting a service for giving this money because uh, you know you have the chance to win that money and exactly. then the government can be funded. Mm, Interesting. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. So Jeffrey Tucker says there are two types of libertarians, humanitarians and brutalists. And so the first values the social peace that emerges from freedom, while the second values the freedom to reject cooperation in favor of gut-level prejudice, is what Jeffrey Tucker says. Okay. Well, you know, I must be a brutalist. You know, I'm both. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Yeah. So the first wants to reduce the role of power and privilege in the world. Well, the second wants the freedom to assert power and privilege within the strict confines of private property rights and the freedom to disassociate. Mm-hmm. I think it's really funny that he says it's two types. I personally believe that I want both, personally. So mm-hmm. do you agree with this, you guys? I mean, where are you at with this idea? 
I think I'm definitely more of the humanitarian side of that just because I, I'm a social person. I enjoy working together in groups. I enjoy uh, doing things in service of others. Me too. And, but I understand people, some people just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. Like I was just on James Weeks' podcast and he, he's an egoist and he very much, he just wants to just, I, I think, just have a piece of property maybe by himself and just be left the heck alone. Mm-hmm. So I get it. Yeah, I'm definitely, yeah. I, I definitely, you know, I guess I'd, I would lean more towards the, the, the brutalist side. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that I am because I don't, I think that's kind of, it's too black and white on that, but I, I agree. I think that even just dividing it into one type or the second is, uh, so stupid. <laughs> it kind of, it, it, it is it, a little bit because yeah. there are going to be some people that I don't want to associate with. I haven't really met anyone, but rent is theft. Uh, no, goodbye. Here's the thing though. I, like, I don't think that, you know, t- I, I want to help people, but I want to help people yeah. who want to help themselves. But at the same time, I want to be able to disassociate at my leisure mm-hmm. and not be called racist because not because I'm racist, just because I don't want to associate with those people. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think it's not as you know, not, it's racism not, it, is the worst. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, though, Ray, is that, you know, when you say things like, oh, I have the right to disassociate, you sound like an, I, people sound like. But, I mean, it is the truth. I mean, we have to say, you know what, this is the truth. Yes, I would like everyone to get along and be cool. And Sure. Sure. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I, I should have the right to say, you know what, I don't want to associate with these people. Right. Uh, for X, Y, and Z reasons, regardless if they're moral or, or immoral. I mean, there's no way to, to if judge that. It was that. a giant group of virtue signalers to where the point where, I mean, there's stuff that I see on Twitter is crazy. And, and the things like third wave feminism, for example, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. Some of the things that they, the anti-men rhetoric, mm-hmm. I personally do not want to associate with women who want to pretend that they are the superior gender, which I don't believe there is a superior anything. And at the same time, talking about hating men because they're they're being victimized by men constantly. Hate men too though. Don't you know I get it. That you hate I, people. I, 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 I hate people, men, women. <laughs> hate them all. So yeah. I mean I, I think it's both. I want freedom to do whatever I think is best for my family. Right. Mm-hmm. And helping others. I love Liberty. I, I believe is, it's, it's. This is actually a pretty deep conversation, Luke. I, yeah. I have a, I have a question for you here. This is kind of interesting. Um, libertarians believe in the axiom that one may not aggress against the person or property of another, but what sanctions should be taken against an invader of aggression? Should death be met with death? Well, I I think if you are like if someone's trying to take over your house, you absolutely have the right to defend yourself. Okay. But what one of the things I argue is that the NAP is it, it's a good base for uh like making morality and making law but it's that's all it is it's a base you got to make you got to get the windows the doors the walls in order to make a good uh like a like what kind of aggression can i respond with to another aggression like is someone uh taking a dollar out of my wallet does that mean mm-hmm. that i can shoot shoot them like no i and, no no because or should they be imprisoned or mm-hmm. like what what's the punishment well here's the point about the non-aggression principle and again, I, I think it does answer the question. It doesn't promote pacifism. I, I believe it promotes self-defense. So yeah, okay. if somebody comes in your home, you know, obviously if you own yourself and somebody's taking like, let's say you're in a store and a kid comes in and steals a candy bar, you're not going to take a shotgun out and that's wrong because you would obviously value his life more than the candy. So at that point, he'd be guilty of murder. But it should be kind of based on a, on a merit. Like if you feel like you're physically threatened, 
then you have the right to retaliate in any way. You should. Like, so if a dude comes at you with a gun, you have the right to come back with a gun. Well, does the punishment fit the crime? That's right. right. And I still think that applies because it's all based on property rights and self-ownership in that sense. So obviously you you value a, a human's life more than the candy bar. And, and the community would value that person's life more than him stealing the candy bar. They go, that dude's a Yes, even in a stateless society. Exactly, yes. We would care about, because we are social creatures, like you were saying, Luke, I, I definitely think you would still take in culture and societal norms, and you would, um, how you act is still going to matter to your neighbors. So people are still going to be pretty good neighbors. They just would be. I think and, so. And I agree. Yeah. Meeting meeting the ag- level of aggression at the level plus one or uh some slight percentage higher to end the initiation of aggression seems to be reasonable. I think that most reasoning folks would agree. Wouldn't you guys? Yeah. You know, I think in most cases that people would say that uh, shooting someone for stealing a candy bar is not an appropriate response. Mm-hmm. But I, I use, I wrote an article recently over the movie, uh, Bust, the ballad of Buster Scruggs, because he gets uh, threatened a couple of times and he just brutally murders the people who threaten him. Mm-hmm. And so I just make the, I just pose the question like, would it have been better for him to have walked away if he could have, because then there would be nobody dead. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have seen that movie at all. Mm-mm. I haven't, no. Oh, no. You, it's great. It's uh, What's it called? I'm going to write it down. The, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's kind of a collection of short films set in the Old West. And it's uh, by the by the Cohen brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's okay, cool. It's great, but um, the first one is about the the title character, and so in the beginning he goes into a bar, and they're making fun of him because he's got this nice white clean suit, and they're all kind of dirty and grimy, <laughs> and so right. they, refu- they like refuse. They refuse the typical him. good the guy, dude. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and th- I think that's kind of the joke of the whole movie because he's like super clean and super polite, but then just brutally murders people. <laughs> Be- <laughs> Wow! Because all the guy did after they refused to serve him and told him he needed to leave was he stood up and put his hand on his gun. And so then Buster Shrugs just kills everyone in the bar. Which is, that is the initiation of aggression, technically. Um, Yeah, yeah. he's wrong. He's wrong. Even though he looks nice with the white outfit. Yeah, because that's private property, right? That's that's the question I always kind of put forward. Like, because, yeah, a man putting his hand on his gun is kind of threatening. But, like, should he have just left? Did he have to kill those people? Did he really fear for his life that much? And this is stuff we need right. to constantly be talking about, I think, as libertarians. Even if you're fearing for your life, if you're the one in a place that you're not welcome at, it would be it would come down to you being wrong, right, guys? He's in a, in a building. So even if you feel like your life is being threatened because you're not leaving this place that they don't want you at, you're. it's like a robber suing somebody or, or the parents of a robber suing the people that shot the robber. You know, that happens. <laughs> This is crazy world. I know, but that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It's people who, um, like somebody broke into a home, right? A burglar broke into mm-hmm. a home through like a sky window or some <laughs> hurt himself in, in the attempt of stealing yeah. from the house and then turned around and sued and won. the people and, and won. won. I mean, and <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. It's <laughs> that dude at, at a certain point, like now- right. If you feel threatened and you're in someone else's property or their house or something like that, you have the right to defend yourself as long as you have the opportunity to leave. You should have the be given the opportunity to leave. You need to leave. We don't want you here. You need yep. to go. Then that person needs to yep. leave. Now, if he refuses to leave, 
now you can take it to the next level of force and escort him out physically, right? But there should still be some civility in this, too. You know, if you just walk up to the dude and fucking punch him and kick his ass out, you need to still be civil about it. You need to leave. He doesn't leave. Then you may physically remove him. And if he's, that doesn't work, then you could shoot him. Don't you think that understanding human nature is part of how we interact with others? If you know that somebody could have an egoic reaction and freak out and and hurt you, you won't put yourself in that position. Right. Would you guys both exactly. agree on that? I agree. I think it's a little personal responsibility there, too. I think we should always try to be seeking the, the least violent option possible. So like Great. you said, to take all the steps to... Make sure, sure that person is not on your property or make sure they're not doing the thing you don't want them to do in your space before resorting to killing them or beating them. Like always take the most sure. peaceful options first. I agree. And I think that's uh, I think that goes without saying. I think the so-called reasonable person would always take that option. You need to leave, please. Yeah. And if that doesn't work. Yeah. And if that doesn't work, now I'm going to push your ass out the door. And if that doesn't work, then it may require more force. So. Meet it on the level of force in which you believe is the right thing to do at first. I think that, but that's a, that's kind of an ethical, moral thing, right? I mean, hell, we're talking about ethics. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's why it's made the quote unquote case for a libertarian ethic. I love it. There you go. Anyways, though, make sure you check out America's fastest growing number one pro liberty radio program, Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is on seven nights per week, Raylan. Can you believe oh, that? Oh, yeah. Seven nights? Seven. Pff, I don't have time to do that. On 190 plus radio stations coast to coast and is pro liberty every issue, every time. So check out freetalklive.com. Again, that's freetalklive.com. Anyways, though, this is Johnny Rocket, always launching ideas, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. Rock and roll. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. LAVA stands for Libertarian, Anarcho-Capitalist, Voluntarist, and Agorist. And if you consider yourself to be in any of those categories, all of those categories, or just interested in learning about them, then the LAVA Flow podcast is for you. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. The Lava Flow Podcast, channeling the flow of information to the libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, voluntarist, and agorist community. TheLavaFlow.com Inflammatory. Uncalled for. Outrageously offensive. Ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Rockets Two Minute Hate Speech. Hate Speech. Johnny Rockets. Attempted ban in the LP. A lot of libertarians have said to me, libertarianism is up to the individual to interpret what it is, especially relating to the party. And I've said on numerous occasions, the libertarian statement of principles has been laid in a very clear and concise way in which a person or an organization describes their beliefs and intentions. These are not up to interpretation. 
A statement of principle is a statement by an organization of the moral or political beliefs which the organization's actions will be based upon. If you are in the Libertarian Party and you do not believe in the statement of principles, you need to pack and either be an independent, a Republican, or a goddamn Democrat. One of the original members of the LP and the person responsible for writing the statement of principles, D. Frank Robinson, had said, We founded the LP as libertarians to advocate and advance libertarian ideals. We didn't want them sniffing around trying to water our principles down just to change which some seats of political authority. I figured it's important for you, the individual, to know what the statements of principles mean and adhere to them. If you haven't read the SOP, you can at least hear it, at least for clarity. We, the members of the Libertarian Party, challenge the cult of the omnipotent state and defend the rights of the individual. We hold that all individuals have the right to exercise sole dominion over their own lives and have the right to live in whatever manner they choose, so long as they do not forcibly interfere with the equal rights of others to live in whatever manner they choose. Governments throughout history have regularly operated on the opposite principle. The state has the right to dispose of the lives of the individuals and the fruits of their labor. Even within the United States, all political parties are other than our own, grant the government the right to regulate the lives of individuals and seize their fruits of their labor without their consent. We, on the contrary, deny the right of any government to do these things and hold that where governments exist, they must not violate the rights of the individual, namely, one, the right to life. Accordingly, we support the prohibition of the initiation of physical force against others. Two, the right to liberty of speech and action. Accordingly, we oppose all attempts by government to abridge the freedom of speech and press, as well as government censorship in any form. Three, the right to property. Accordingly, we oppose all government interference with private property, such as confiscation, nationalization, and eminent domain, and support the prohibition of robbery, trespass, fraud, and misrepresentation. Since governments, when instituted, must not violate individual rights, we oppose all interference by government in the areas of voluntary and contractual relations among individuals. People should not be forced to sacrifice their lives and property for the benefits of others. They should be left free by the government to deal with one another as free traders and the resultant economic system. The only one compatible with the protection of individual rights is the free market. And just so you know, in a case for a libertarian party, the founder, David F. Nolan, specifically pointed out why the party was created and what his main focus was to be. It was not created to be like the other parties and win elections. It was created to use the political system as a way to spread our radical ideology. There it is, in all its glory. It's not socialism, it isn't democracy, and it isn't for the faint of heart. This is our house, our f- and for those of you who tell me as an anarcho-capitalist, just like the founder of modern-day libertarianism, Murray Rothbard, that I need to move to Somalia because I won't dilute the message, I have this to say. No, you move. Mr. Luke Henderson. Luke, thank you so much for being here on the show. Hope you're having fun. Oh, I absolutely am. Rock and roll. So what we do here on the second segment, it's called Rocket Fire. What I do on Rocket Fire, sirs, I'm going to ask you a series of 10 questions. These questions will be politically related, and if you can answer these questions between 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be badass. Luke, are you ready to play Rocket Fire? Yeah. 
All right, here we go. Question one. What is the difference between objective and subjective value? Oh, goodness. Uh, subjective value is basically just uh, when there are factors that might change what something is worth to someone, like d- depending on different situations and all that. And I guess objective would be uh, when there's a set value for everybody, no matter what the circumstances. Right on. Good answer. Question two. Are public charter school admission lotteries unfair? I think they definitely can be. The thing with those those lotteries is that there are charter schools that there's been evidence show that they may purposely not take a kid who is like has uh, special needs or a kid of a of a certain like uh, academic level. So I think it can be, and I think still think charter schools are a better option. Right on, man. Question three: In an organization, is there a good reason to think that diversity of gender and race? will result in tolerance and fairness for diversity of thought. I do think that, actually, and there's actually a really good book out right now that's called The Space Between Us that I've been meaning to pick up, but I've uh, read a synopsis of it. It's basically it's an experiment where a group of like uh, pretty well the same people are ha- have to be introduced to um, another group of people for uh, like uh, 10 days. And for the first three days, these uh, people did not like being around these people. But then after 10 days, when they surveyed them, they actually were a little more accepting, a little more tolerant of them. So I do think having a diversity of genders and races and thoughts does actually lead to more understanding and a better workplace. Right on. Question four. Now that we go from ethics to liberty, justice narrowly is a legitimately enforceable claim. What is the consideration between justice, rights, and utility? Oof. As far as um, making restitution for the crime, for one, we should be using a more restitutory model. And for prisoners, studies have been showing that uh, it's what really works in making sure that they don't come back is having them confront their victims and they the victims tell them like this is how this has harmed my life. Right. Basically, this is what you do to me, and so they empathize a little more. And then you also try to educate them and give them a little more uh, job tools, so that way, again, they can get a job when they get out. They don't come back. Right on. Good answer. Question five. Should there be exceptions to rights for emergencies? Oh. Yeah. Geez. So like there was this, <laughs> there was like a movie where a guy got tortured because he knew the location of a bomb. Right. Now, we all know it's wrong to torture somebody. Right. Yeah. But we're kind of looking at utility here. Right. So is it good for the is it good? Is utility good in this situation? If it's good for the, the greater good. So if we have to torture one guy to save an entire city, is that right? And should we do it? Oh, jeez. <laughs> huh? I mean, my, my, my gut feeling is no, we shouldn't do that because, like, it shouldn't be harming a person. But I, I, I get that, you know, if the bomb goes off, then it would kill a lot of people. So that's a, that's a very tough thing. Like I said, my gut feeling, though, is no, we should, shouldn't be using torture or harming people in order to save other people. Right on. Good answer. I agree. Question six. When can you respond to force, and what is the ethical answer? You can respond to force, I think, uh, as we kind of talked in kind of a sequence. You try to use the most peaceful options first, and then you get to where you're using uh, methods that would harm someone. Right on. Good answer. Question seven. Does libertarianism require widespread acceptance of certain cultural values? I don't think so. I think libertarianism can work in a variety of cultural values. That's why there's so many different the kinds of libertarian thought along both the left and the right political spectrum. Question eight. The state in which maintains in large part a monopoly over force, geography, and legal system, what's wrong with a forcible monopoly? Well, just uh, just monopolies aren't efficient. They have no incentive 
to uh, either make their products better or make their prices lower, and it just uh, does. It makes uh, people not have as many options to make themselves happy or make themselves prosperous. I'm with you. I hate the goddamn power company. I wish there was like multiple power companies that we could go to and would keep prices low and keep them honest. That's a forcible monopoly I can think of. Question nine: Is voting aggression, and is it okay to vote defensively? Hence, some would say they are aggressing against you when you vote. Um, I understand this argument, the kind of anti-democracy uh, d- one, but no, I don't think voting is aggression, but I do believe you should be voting kind of in defense because if you're not voting, then other people who are voting and don't want things that you want will get their way. Right on. Question 10. Are welfare recipients rights violators? Yeah, my gut feeling is to, is to say no because a lot of these people just – they. They just don't know what to do. I think they've gotten to a point where they just feel like they need some help and maybe they don't have someone to turn to. And so I don't necessarily think they're violating our rights by just accepting something in the way society currently is. Okay. And the bonus question. Here we go. Should we treat the violation of property as aggression against oneself? No, I mean, I, your property is not you, though. I, I mean, the principle of self-ownership says that basically anything that you mix your labor with is your property. Like, I think there's just a very clear distinction between the self and the things that you own. Like, there's a different moral value you hold to yourself than you hold to your property. Okay, and that's Rocket Fire. Give it up for Luke Henderson. Exactly 60 seconds, everyone. Bam. All right. Great stuff. Okay, anyways, this is Johnny Rocket here on Blast Off, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Rock and roll. This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. It's time to shake up your podcast feed, folks, by subscribing to Lions of Liberty, the only libertarian variety show out there. Spend Mondays with me, Mark Clare, as I feature in-depth interviews with great names in the libertarian community and fun roundtable discussions. Electric Liberty Land with me, Brian McWilliams, every Wednesday, your weekly dose of comedy, culture, and liberty. And Felony Fridays with me, John Odermatt, where I expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and at lionsofliberty.com. Anyway, so we're talking about libertarian ethics here on the show, and it's been kind of interesting. We've been having some discussions in regarding what's right or wrong. How does it all relate to self-ownership? How does it relate to the non-aggression principle? Is the non-aggression principle a framework, or is it all-encompassing? And uh, Luke thinks it's kind of a structure, or it's a it's a, a framing for the home, but we actually need the walls and the roof and the floor. I think differently, but that's okay. This is why we're here on the show and discussing these ideas. Anyway, so Luke, thanks again for being here. And Raylene, take it away. Okay, this is a big one. Uh, okay. It's really, it's I'm excited two, about this one. Right. A couple titans in economics and philosophy here uh, with varying ideas. And I, and I want to talk about children mm. in a free society. 
Mm-hmm. All right. So Murray Rothbard recognized that children are subject to the non-aggression principle. But outside of direct aggression, he reinforces that libertarian theory has nothing to say about neglect of these children. For example, choosing not to feed them. Okay. Because they are not um, indebted to them in that way. Then Walter Block actually disagrees with Rothbard on children being full humans. And while Block believes abuse delegitimizes parental ownership, he does not think they fall under the NAP. In a free society, do you believe this would be seen as a crime? And would neighboring property owners be justified in giving these children what they need, assuming Rothbard's NAP description? So if they are people, then are they allowed to run away and because they own themselves? And are people allowed to freely associate with the children by giving them food and, and what they need and, and, and associating with them? Or would it be acceptable to take the children from the birth parents if they were being neglected pertaining to Block's assertion uh, because of the delegitimized parental ownership? Where do you guys fall on that stuff? Oh, wow. Wow. That's, that's heavy stuff. Sorry, I, I, I love this stuff. Oh, it's no, it's good stuff. No, it's ethics. This is why we're talking about this on the show. Go ahead. Luke, you have the floor. All right. I mean, I would say, yeah, I think the neighboring the neighbors have every right to uh, make sure that those kids get taken care of. I mean, they are people. I wouldn't necessarily be as objective, I think, as seems like Rothbard and Block were on their arguments. I think you need to take an account of what factors are going on. Because, I mean, obviously, if, if it's a child's not getting fed because the parents are like maybe they're working, you know, 60 hours a week and they're just not making enough money, that's different than they're just you know, refusing to feed the child. So I think there's things like that that need to be taken in. But overall, I mean, my kind of view on this topic is that children are not necessarily property. So they can try to help themselves. So you are a Murray Rothbard. They are subject to the non-aggression principle but technically, if the parents don't provide them with what they need, they should be able to seek it out elsewhere. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Yeah, the child should be able to take, take care of themselves if their parents are not doing it. But I also think there's this philosophically, there's kind of a responsibility to being, to being a parent that, that is placed upon you when you have a child. Mm-hmm. So if, like, if it is legitimately that you just are not taking care of your kid, yeah, sure, the kid can run away. But if it is just... The kid doesn't like you. He had a bad day. Like the kid needs to go back to the parent. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm with you on this. I'm with you. And I think if if somebody, even though technically I kind of agree with Rothbard on just on a technical side, but I I think what we're missing here is the human nature. I don't think anyone in the neighborhood, if anyone knew what was going on, they would be met with uh, content. And and, and, you know what I'm saying? I'm on the Walter Block side of it. And, And the reason why is I think. Um, because I do marry what I, I don't agree with Jeffrey Tucker on that. There's two types of libertarians. I think that's just deductive and ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think that children, uh, well, Walter Block says they're not full humans, but it, it is, they are in your care because it is your job to parent them and teach them how to, um, own themselves while they're still young and cannot provide for themselves because that is our, we are charged with that because they come out of our bodies and we made them. And now it's our job to take care of that property. Just like if we had a horse that was running wild on people's lawns, it would be our job to take care of that horse. and get It would it be our responsibility to keep it in check too. Exactly. But, and here's but, the thing though. One thing I, mm-hmm. we're not bringing up too is what about children or young adults with special needs that are not necessarily capable, 
even at the quote unquote age of you know adulthood, right? Whatever that arbitrary number is. Mm-hmm. So what you could be like a thirty year old person with uh, disabilities and still maybe have the mentality of a six or seven year old, right? Mm-hmm. Is it up to the parent then at that point to take care of that kid? I mean, where does it end? That's the question we morally, have to ask our morally when? Yes. Um, I mean, I think that tech, property rights, yes, it's yours. But if you disassociate uh, from the property and don't want it, then that could get into some ugly arguments. But uh, they're always fun to do with libertarians because we're <laughs> neck beards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you think, Luke? What do you think, Luke? See, like now you're saying Walter Block's case. I mean, I do kind of agree on that point. That I mean, I do think parents have an obligation to take care of their kids and teach them. But like, whew. think about it. If you if you abuse the children in any way or neglect them, yeah, then that would delegitimize parental ownership. Meaning that somebody could come in and sweep up those children and treat them better. Would that be a property rights issue, or do you think that everybody would agree? And the society and our culture now, or in a culture in a free society, do you think that people would band together and protect these kids? Because I actually do think. I, I think they would. I think they would. Me too. Yeah, but I think that most people, I mean, not everyone, there'd be that one guy would be like, I, it's none of my business, right? There'd yeah. be that guy, probably me, right? At my hill, in my little cabin with my shotgun. <laughs> I'm leaving alone. But what I'm saying is, yeah, I think most people would jump and say, you know, hey man, you have a kid, you made this kid. And I guess the biggest question I have though, is at what time and what place in a person's life do they actually have self-ownership? You know, like, what is this arbitrary number? Like, do, do, do they become an adult when they start working? Do they become an adult when they get married or when they start having sex? I mean, what, when is all the, of those things are adult decisions? And I would say yes to all of them. That if, you know, uh, it, how do we own ourselves? It's the ability to reason. It's the knowing that you own yourself. It's the, the feeling that you own yourself. That's, that's part of it. Yeah, right? I think so. But I mean, again, I've known people who are 30 years old who have, don't have any common sense. And yet I've met kids who are 16, 17 years old who are sharp, responsible and are, you know, adults as far as I'm concerned. Especially with the age of consent talk. Oh, let's go there. Let's go there. It's really important to talk about this stuff. No, it is. I think we need to discuss it. My opinion on it, Raylene, is I honestly think it's the community's decision. Uh, your immediate community. Your family. I don't want to get all Waco on you, but I mean... (laughs) Yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is... I don't want anyone to get all Waco on me. Yeah. I like to live. Thanks. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is I think it's up to the community. I mean, and it's also up to the individual. I think that certain individuals, you know, maybe become more responsible and become more uh, aware of the world earlier in their life and some later in their life. And so, I mean, you could have a, a person who's 30 years old and you're like, dude, you shouldn't have kids because you're an asshole and you don't know how to pay your bills. I don't know. What do you think, Luke? I think this is important. Oh. <laughs> we talked about ethics, man. We're, yeah. go, we're going yeah. there. Yeah, going where there. exactly does um, ethic, like uh, consent, start with children becoming adults? It's kind of like practicing and teaching, and them understanding and and uh, putting it consent into practice, wouldn't you say? As they grow, yeah. I mean, I have the I have uh, some friends in my libertarian circles that believe that um, if a kid can demonstrate that they have the skills to adulthood at any age, then they should then be considered an adult. Like specifically one of our writers for the libertarian coalition believes there should be some sort of like a basically test the kid can take so they could vote earlier. If they, if they can show an understanding enough of politics so that they could vote before 18 or whenever the age is set, if there's a voting age. Mm. 
No, I'm, yeah. I, that's fine. Maybe. I, I just feel like if that happened, we just have a lot of people voting for Bernie. Or <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't even like, I. so I hate voting. <laughs> I, I think that I don't know what a better way is, is other than just not having any government because I don't want to vote on a large scale. I don't believe in mob rules because there's too many assholes and idiots out there, obviously. Right. Well, well obviously, as, as we have talked about, we vote defensively. It's like, so should the government, should we, you know, should we put this bill together? No. Should we do that? No. Should we do? No. Should we? No. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm no across the ballot. I mean, I, I, no, 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 no. I don't or care what it is. voting to get rid of bad laws. I, I get rid yes. of, yeah, absolutely. I do that. That's the only way. Like, I don't care if it even sounds nice. What, you know, like, we, we want to feed starving children. <laughs> you know, no. You know, the state shouldn't be part of that. That should be up to us as individuals to take care of other people. I, I, I get great pride out of uh, living a voluntarist lifestyle in my private life and helping people and doing things for people. And, and you know how I how I roll, John. Yes, it's, yes. And uh-huh. I, I, I don't have that option to live like, you know, an, you know, an agorist lifestyle like you. But at the same token, you know, I try to live as much as a libertarian as possible. Like I try to not take money from the state, if at all possible. So when do you think you can consent when do you think you're capable as a human to consent, you guys? I, d- I don't know. I mean, I to me, I think it's, again, up to the community and what they deem as the appropriate age. So, like, the reason that we have this 18 across the board thing now is just because of the federal government giving money to the states. And if they had to adhere to some certain laws to make them standardized across all 50 states. So, th- at one point, different states had different age of consent. I think a doctor should have to ask a kid before they touch their body, before they give an examination. I think consent starts at the age of two, three, four years old. What do you guys think? I don't know. Uh, that make that makes sense, yeah. And I mean, kids understand way more than I think a lot of people get credit them for. I think if a child can demonstrate that they understand like, the repercussions of these very adult actions, then mm-hmm. yeah, they should be able to be considered adults. Like, it, it's just... That's what the parent's responsibility is to determine when their child is ready. I mean, you know, some parents let their kids go off to college at 18. Some parents say, no, you should stay, work, race, get some money, get some skills before you go. Well, here's the thing. It's like that I have a problem with because at a certain point, you know, a kid could say, hey, I'm going to change your diaper because you, you know, you shat yourself. Right. And you stink. And the kid would go, no, don't touch me. Right. Um, Yeah. And if you continue, if you let continue they're going to get sick they're going to get burnt rash burn whatever at a certain point they don't have enough reason or to reason at that age and so there no it I, is. I don't that's, i don't believe that's the point and so I, I don't I, me, yes i think it's when they're able to reason and put together complex concepts in their head and can put together to actually reason and make decisions on their own which are smart and reasonable right that is yeah. when they should make decisions for themselves and their right. actions. If they're right. going to run out in a road, you grab their hand because you know the repercussions and you know what could happen. They and could that die. Is where, mm-hmm. and, and if they're in danger, that supersedes teaching them lessons of body autonomy in those moments. Exactly. Just, yeah. You know, um, not to sound like the state. <laughs> well, I know how much you love the government, Raylene, but like when I'm, when I'm. I love my kids. That's for sure. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. I'm just yeah. saying like. It is, a, it is a hard question because I don't think we, the thing that a lot of people like to do in our society now, Luke and Raylene, is they like to put a number with it. They, they just want to draw the line in the sand saying arbitrary. this is the arbitrary lines and saying this is the age. And I'm saying it could be higher. Maybe 18 is too low. This is what I'm getting at. What if 18 is not high enough? 
Yeah. Why don't we go in the opposite direction? Because a lot of people go, you guys are sickos. You guys just want to have, you know, you want women, girls to have sex at 16. No, what's mm-hmm. to say we want women to have sex at 21? Because at 21, they're able to drink, smoke. Well, they can smoke at 18. But why don't we say 21 is more? They can reason, make reasonable decisions at the age of 21. Well, and even that's kind of subjective because, I mean, in Germany, exactly. You can, exactly. kids can drink beer at 16 and then drink hard liquor at 18, and they they can drink beer before they can get their license. So I'm it's a, silly. I'm a hi, kind of a hyper-individualist. Like, I think every child needs to just be examined as their own person. So and it's a case-by-case case basis. Absolutely. Like, okay. Absolutely. That's, and that's where education needs to go, too. It needs to be because yes. some kids are good at other subjects. Some kids aren't good at at certain subjects, like education and child raising needs to be more individualized than it is. Not yes. every kid's, like, just really no kids fit in a box. Right. Everyone's their own unique individual. That's right. No, I'm with you on that. And that's 100. a good way of looking at it. That's what I'm saying is using a number that just, you know, this arbitrary number where, you know, again, I'm with you, Raylene. I think it's when a person is able to make reasonable decisions, they can think for themselves and they can actually live out in the real world without mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the 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 way to tell if somebody's ready to get out there and start. <laughs> <laughs> if they're willing, if they are capable of handling the consequences of their actions. Exactly. Yes. That's yes, right. exactly. And I get pissed off at this stuff like the military, you know, like you have these guys who join the military and I'm, I'm not being pro military here, but I'm just saying that, yeah, you have the, you're at 18 years old, you can go overseas, kill people, and yet you can't come and have a beer at a bar. I cannot disagree. You know, it's like, disagree with you. I mean, those dudes are responsible. I mean, they're, they could <laughs> killing people and yet, oh, you can't, you can't drink alcohol. Of course, they're going to drink alcohol, and I think there should be, you know, I think they should have the right to. And again, I'm not necessarily pro-military, but I think it's just absolutely... We're pro-alcohol. I I am. All right, I'm definitely pro-alcohol, but I'm just saying, I mean, I'm I'm just saying, I I don't know. What do you you guys think really quick? We're going to wrap up the show. I I think I agree more more for Aileen. I think consent uh, starts as soon as that child uh, is born, and I just, uh, in order to... I think the relationship between a parent and a child is different than the relationship between a child and a stranger. Mm-hmm. So the parents don't necessarily have to always get consent to touch the child because, again, you are trying to do things that are for the child's own good. Mm-hmm. There is implied consent. Mm-hmm. Well, there we have it. There we have it. We have solved the, the uh, ever. <laughs> we have solved, we solved the con- all, guys. We solved the controversial issue. Okay, Raylene, prepare for landing. Roger that, Johnny. Seatbelts and shoulder harnesses. Or body, your choice. Landing gear and downward expanders. NAP initiated. Anti-state superchargers. Defragged and woke. Landing lights and guest websites. Luke Henderson, give us your .com, sir. All right, you can find the book on Amazon.com. Again, it's Igniting Liberty, Voices for Freedom Around the World. You can find me on Being Libertarian, Think Liberty, Antiwar.com, and the Libertarian Coalition. Right on. Anyway, so this is Johnny Rocket here at Blastoff. And again, you can check us out at BlastoffShow.com. And if people want to hear some exclusive bonus content and the after-party show that we're going to have with Luke Henderson here, where can people find us, Rayleigh? Ooh, you can go to supportblastoff.com and you can give a dollar an episode to hear the after party, but only $2 a show for the all-nighter as well. Okay, $2 an episode. That's nothing. That's nothing, guys. So it's the price of a cup of coffee. 
You guys want to hear? I'm going to do like if the you whole life. Feed two starving artists. Feed two starving children, Raylene and myself. Please go to supportblastoff.com. A dollar. That's nothing. Again, it's a cup of coffee per episode. <laughs> Anyways, so it's Johnny Rocket always launching ideas. Make sure you check out Luke Henderson's book, Ignite Liberty. Anyways, so it's Johnny Rocket always launching ideas. See you next week. Rock and roll. Thank you.